check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Here we go, episode 245, The System is Its Worst Enemy. I'm your host, Alpha Mike, and I am transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet. Well, you're probably seeing what I'm seeing on television and hearing it on the radio and anywhere else you go. The catastrophe that is occurring in Afghanistan. The blame game has started, and we'll talk about that in a minute. How do you get in contact with us? Well, it's real easy. Radacop.com takes us to the audio portion of our website where you can hear all our, our episodes from number one to number 245. And Raider Cop Nation takes us to the website, the official website, where you can get more information on us. We're on social media. You can look us up, Raider Cop, Raider Cop Nation, or Raider Cop Podcast, and you will find us. And, of course, you can hear the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Look us up. You will find us because we're on every medium out there. The website is coming along. Remember, RaiderCopNation.com. It has its uh, banners on top where you can look up uh, different episodes based on title and AWOL series, Buccaneer series, Gun series, Wise Guy series, and uh, it'll take you to those episodes. We're still loading them in there, but there's a a lot of them on there already. We should be finished before the end of the month. And, of course... As you know, September is right around the corner, so we've got a couple of items. We're going to talk about the lineup that's coming up and some things that we're doing and, and, and so forth. So we've got a lot on the agenda, and of course, we have to come to the three stories. Oh, Unfortunately, it isn't even funny at this point any longer, but we do have to uh, cover them. Today's episode 245, The System is Its Worst Enemy. We're going to talk about how law enforcement agencies have compiled garbage on top of garbage where you do one thing five times over and the system is basically in its own way. And we'll discuss how that's happening, why that's happening, and how to correct it. If uh, current law enforcement wants to correct it, I don't think they do. I think they enjoy it, to be honest with you. But nevertheless, it's time to call our bipolar uncle at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And uh, let's see the catastrophes of this week. Tasha called the service of the mental with her bipolar uncle. Uh, bipolar. Uh, first story takes us to Uncle Joe at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue where he had his Bay of Pigs moment. According to Leon Panetta, former secretary of the CIA, uh, said in, in a recent interview that Joe Biden in the debacle of Afghanistan had his Bay of Pigs moment. Now, the Bay of Pigs was during the Kennedy administration when the prior administration of Kennedy, Eisenhower, had financed and laid out a plan on invading Cuba. Kennedy, when he took office, went along with the plan, but when it was lights, camera, and action, air support never showed up. Therefore, the plan was an utter failure. Well, Uncle Joe said, I can do better than that. And he showed not only every American, but he showed 
everybody around the world. Our own partners or close allies had no knowledge of what he was doing, and therefore he now blames President Trump 45, even though he was responsible for the exit strategy, which consisted of none. Needless to say, Biden, his Secretary of Defense, and the Chief of Staff of the military are totally incompetent. Our second story tells us that Joe Biden has hit the lowest recorded rating he's ever had. As his polls, his rating is going down and down and down. It's going as fast as he accumulated votes during the wee hours of the night. Of course, Americans now are witnessing the true person that they might have voted for or they feared would take the presidency in incompetent Joe. It's one debacle after the other, and we're all being told that this is the way it's going to be. Americans are starting to have less and less faith in what's going on. And something tells me that those numbers are going to continue going downwards. As Camilla has gone into witness protection, nowhere to be found. Democratic leaders are nowhere to be found either. As Uncle Joe is left all alone on this subject of Afghanistan. But not to worry. As he approaches the microphone, he'll straighten it all out to the horror of millions of Americans. Our third story takes us back to the Biden administration, the catastrophe at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, where U.S. lawmakers are ready to probe the Biden administration over Afghanistan. Really, and that also includes some Democrats. You see, you can't fix stupid, so people are jumping on board to kick Joe right in the shins because this has been one of the worst debacles of political embarrassments in the nation's history in more than 50 years or 60 years. Pretty depressing. And what's even more depressing is what those poor people in Afghanistan are going through right now. 20 years fighting with us. And truth be told, the United States military has not been in, uh, combatant in the military engagements since 2014. In Afghanistan, being trained and advised by U.S. military have been doing a pretty decent job. But all go th- all things have to come to an end. And an exit plan was being created by 45. We know about what happened during the elections. Uh, this goof came in, 46, and no plan whatsoever. But I picked up on something that Uncle Joe said weeks or oh, months ago prior to this debacle, he said, I inherited that uh, agreement of uh, Afghanistan in May. And I didn't like the way he inherited everything that 45 did. And he's had no problems in removing it and getting rid of it. But for some reason, this, well, you know, I can't really do anything. But I can tell you who's really ecstatic and very happy over what's going on. Russia and China, they are happy. Uh, Joe has really paid them off big dividends with uh, giving uh, a terrorist state of Afghanistan right there. Uh, Things are looking good for the axle of evil. 
But it's time to cheer you up, and we've got the joke of the week. And here we go. Look, we do the best we can. I'll just, I'll say before the joke because you know you guys are a rough crowd. What did the mayonnaise say when the refrigerator door was open? Close the door. I'm dressing. Okay. Whatever. Get it out of your system now. Episode 245, the system is its worst enemy. We will dive in to law enforcement agencies, and some are more special than others, how they compile work upon work upon work for one incident to justify salaries, but justifying their existence is one thing, defying logic is another, and that's what we're going to dive in. As soon as the clowns are ready, and they are, we are ready to go. Episode 245, The System is Its Worst. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Episode 245, The System is Its Worst Enemy. Now, before we start the uh, episode, I want to go back and do some memory laning. In 2017 and 2018, I had discussed, uh, the Radio Cop podcast came online in 2018. Part of that was El Police Radio. And we, I had discussed about all the great stories that I could come up with seven years after retirement. Well, I'm headed towards my sixth year of retirement. And uh, so I'm going to start getting you guys ready every episode, every so often. I'm going to talk a little bit about those stories that I'm... Now, the juicy parts will come in on... uh, the seventh year, which will be 2023. So we're right there. We're right there. And in this episode, we're going to talk about that ugly system, the system that can't get out of its own way. We've got eight things on the outline agenda, and uh, we're going to talk about policy, absence of policy, supervision, Asking the why, testing the system is why it's so important. Readiness capability, our key. Stop killing trees. And the last outline, listen to your front line and get the hell out of the way. And with this, hopefully, it'll ring true sometime in the future. But agencies have become more and more sophisticated and difficult at the same time. Now, during the 60s, late 60s and 70s, law enforcement was really taking a learning curve on a lot of law enforcement training tactics. For example, in in that era of the 60s and 70s, you had law enforcement officers or uniformed personnel that would wear their weapon not on their strong side, but as a cross drawer. In other words, if you're a righty, you would wear the weapon on your left, sort of like a taser type thing, and the weapon would be drawn as a cross across your body. It was it was a train wreck like no other. Uh, another thing 
was going to domestic calls and knocking on doors and standing in front of doors and things of that nature. Uh, there was a horrific incident in California where the California Highway Patrol got into a shootout and the, the trooper uh, uh, taking cover behind a vehicle lined up his rounds on the pavement to reload where he was shot. And the reason he did that is that's what they did in training. So we have evolved a whole lot since those early beginnings. Now, of course, policing and correctional aspects have been around way before then, but that was the era where they started putting pen and paper together on policy procedure training. Today, they are completely out of control with their paper and, and, and pens. They're up to now crayons and cardboard. They are just going out of their mind. So policy, the importance of policy, policy will take us through almost any incident that may occur in the course of duty of a law enforcement official. Now, the, of course, not there's not every policy just waiting for an incident to occur. And let's come up with a hypothetical. An elephant was running down the main boulevard and causing traffic accidents and citizens to be trampled almost to death. Well, you don't really have the elephant policy in the file cabinet. But policies are generalities. And since they are dealing with generalities, most of the time, day-to-day occurrences of a law enforcement official's duties, they are somewhat vague. They'll never be as specific in nature. They are to guide the agency, the personnel, the supervision on how to get through that specific incident and how to basically prepare for it if it were to happen. Now, in the absence of policy, I used to have, I had the pleasure of teaching a promotional course, right? So when people would get promoted, they end up taking a 40-hour course on how to become better supervisors or supervisor of that rank. Whether you were corporal, or sergeant, or lieutenant, you would take this course. Now, the course wasn't really specifically geared for your rank. Then it was for you dealing with the unexpected. So one of my opening questions were, and I I would teach the use of force aspect of it, I would say in the absence of policy, what do you do and what will you, as a new supervisor, or maybe you're not a new supervisor, what do you rely on, on the absence of policy? And very little would know the actual answer. The answer, of course, would be training. Your training is to cover the absence of any written policy. So you would act in accordance to that training to safeguard you and the agency on that incident. Policy was written on how to deal with it exactly, but I have formable training that prepared me for that. Let's say it's a rescue attempt where you have to perform some type of basic first aid, but the situation was bizarre, or it was a shooting or use of force, or something similar. So 
policy may cover you to a certain point, but then it gets into the bizarre and you can't really cover that aspect of it through the policy. So you're going to cover it through your, your training. So the absence of policy is training. And the next one that we're going to kick into is supervision. Now, supervision is so important because, number one, for a good supervisor, you have to actually be doing the functions of supervising. And this is a lost art sometimes in law enforcement where you can't find your supervisor because they're either drinking excessive amounts of coffee someplace or they've gone to the station to write reports, wink and a nod, or they're in a meeting and not uh, at the ready to be on the scene. So supervision is not as defined as you think it would be in law enforcement. Now for our laws profession or the forgotten profession of corrections, Supervision is almost instantaneous on scene because of the way they're set up with systems of post and you are in a detention facility so your supervisor can only hide so far, you know, (laughs) and uh, they have to get on that scene. They'll be there faster than they will on the police sector has a lot of other issues. Now, sometimes they'll pull other supervisors because your supervisor is not accounted for, for whatever reason. So that supervisor will will not break any records in getting there to supervise that incident. But there is a relationship that this is another area I used to teach on, and we'll have episodes on it, don't have to take out your crayons right now in your cardboard boxes. There'll be more episodes on this. There is a relationship that exists between agency and supervisor. That relationship is expected by the federal government. They believe that that relationship must exist. And the relationship is one that a supervisor tell a subordinate their level of expectations on the employee's behavior, conduct, and course of business. And the subordinate has a duty to question certain aspects of that expectation that he or she may not be clear on. So it's a give and take. Of course, subordinates just shut up and do what they're told. And that is the beginning of the first mistake when we look at the system as its worst enemy. Because if I'm a supervisor and I have to give my subordinate directions on a plan, objective, or mission, it's incumbent upon me to give them a big global view of the mission, not a half portrait of the entire picture. What do I mean by that? We need you to do a perimeter on 3rd Street and 4th Avenue. That's it. What are we doing? We we just have to do it. I had one uh, supervisor that he will be in the Hall of Fame of Stupidity Even today, he continues to be obnoxious and stupid, where I recently had to get rid of him from Instagram. I had thought I I, uh, uh, put him on the delete ship, but apparently he came back with his rhetoric again about uh, Joe Biden and and, uh, defending the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, do not encourage or speak to a fool because if you do guess who the fool is 
So in that light, in that picture, and in that spirit, I just deleted him. I didn't even get back and forth. But anyway, he is a Hall of Famer of the stupid Hall of Fame in law enforcement. He once told us that we were looking for an item. And uh, he had uh, gathered several officers, and we were looking for this item, but he would not give us specific detail of what the item was. And when one of them, or the officers, had asked, what are we looking for? Oh, don't worry about it. You'll know when you find it. I can't tell you. They told me not to say anything. Now, who they are, I don't know, but I've been dying to find out for many, many years. But this is why he is a member of the Stupid Hall of Fame. Needless to say, we later found out what it was, what we were looking for, but it was a firearm. And uh, I just can't explain the stupidity, so I'm not going to. But I'm trying to give you a picture of the relationship between the subordinate and the supervisor, although there were several officers that were asking, what are we looking for, and not, not getting the answer. They should have kept on pushing. Even if they did not get the answer at that time on that scene, they needed to follow that up with a memorandum or some type of confrontation where that supervisor's supervisor needs to come in that this is what this individual told us to do. Now, in this specific case that I just mentioned, there was some type of a confrontation, but it wasn't as formal as that person's supervisor being there. There were other supervisors of the same rank as him that were listening to this, and they were saying, bro, what are you doing? It was just that bad. So that relationship between superior or supervisor and subordinate and subordinate and supervisor is expected by the court system. You just can't say, well, you know, he's my supervisor. He just told me to do it, and I just did it. If you don't understand the full capacity of what you're doing, you need to get it clarified. And that's why that guy that has that title supervisor gets paid those big bucks so we covered that now asking the why and we we explained why you want to ask the why you want to get a global picture understanding of what the mission is before you as simple as the mission might seem you might have done it many many times you always want to get clarity even if it's clarity as far as how long will you be in a specific post, uh, when will people start going on breaks if you're going to be there for the whole day. All those things, they may seem trivial, but they're crucial for the mission. And the system is its worst enemy. These questions on a daily basis are not asked often enough they're not told to subordinates enough causing the circus to emerge out of nowhere when you get to specificalities in procedure and I don't know about you but I lived in a chaotic I worked in a chaotic environment where many of the policies or procedures were just totally ridiculous. But clarification was even worse because the person that was supposed to bring the clarity to the procedure didn't know the procedure. Now we're getting really close and we're cooking with gas now and fire. We're really getting close to the problem of the system is its worst enemy. And very few mid-level supervisors will go beyond their rank to seek clarity to the position of being obnoxious. 
Now, I've met some of them, and they were never well-liked in the agency, but they were a necessary evil for the good of the order. Getting the specificalities and procedure was crucial. But one thing that you would discover immediately, that the top brass, the six-figure crowd, the ones that had no limit on coffee, the ones that never looked at their watch during their lunch breaks, that crowd, they really don't know procedure. You might be shocked to hear it. It might be the first time you've ever heard that the top brass and a lot of law enforcement agencies have absolutely no idea what the procedure is. Now, let's give some examples. Let's say I'm a 35, 40-year veteran, mid-level supervisor. For this example, we've got to go a little higher. So I'm a first layer of executive management, which would, let's put it down to the lieutenant area. And here I am, a bundle of joy with 35 or 40 years of seniority. And there are specificalities about body-worn camera. Now, this is something that that specific supervisor did not use for about 95% of their career. They went and got the training. They know how to turn it on. They were told how important it would be to an investigation. But that's about the size of their experience with that specific technology. Are they the experts? Would they know the exact procedures and the little ins and outs of body-worn cameras? Now, of course, you couldn't answer that because it depends who I'm talking about. If I'm talking about the Hall of Famer that I mentioned earlier, that's definitely not the guy to ask. But in this scenario, we wouldn't know because there is no real person that we're asking. So asking the why is going to really take this worst enemy of the system off of the system. So testing the system is so important. You know, there's a lot of issues and a lot of policies that should be going hand in hand with training. Now, of course, not everything that's written in policy has a training module to it. But I remember recommending to my former agency that the training section should be responsible for major incidents in review, not the key responsibility, but we should have a responsibility to see everything that happened in that major incident was according to the training plan. And if it is not, it needed to be corrected departmental-wide. And what you got was finish, go back to your cubicle. That's what you really got. Another issue was there was a lot of curriculums that would be written and these curriculums, some some of them very small, maybe a couple of hours of training versus maybe 40 or what I was responsible for, 56 hours of training. And when these training modules that are that big, I would recommend readiness capability because this is key. You see, I can't train you on a specific function. I've got to certify you on a specific law enforcement function. Maybe it takes 40 hours to do this. There are going to be subjective drills and objective drills. There will be exams. There will be practicums to determine your level. And that 
is all going to be reviewed in training and you receive a certificate. But there's the relationship should not end there. It only starts there. The relationship now should continue to the next area of readiness capability. What you were trained on, we're going to do a quick survey on you on the field, unexpected, to see how you handle and did you earn your certificate. That readiness capability has you at the ready. Now, recently, January 6th, the Capitol Police were taken over by insurgency, supposedly, even though I saw a video on the media where Capitol Police were opening the door telling the insurgents, come on in. Yeah, you can take pictures. Come on in. Come on. Go right up the stairs. But this is what we're being told. January 6th was insurgency day, trying to overthrow the government. And as a result, the readiness capability drills of the Capitol Police just were not there. I don't know about you, but I don't think that part of their policy was in the middle of an insurgency at the Capitol, the Capitol Police will open doors and welcome the insurgents to come in and have the place for themselves. Take pictures and do as you feel fit. It just doesn't make any sense to me because that wouldn't really be a ready, capable uh, exam that you would be doing. Stop killing trees. Doing things in triplicate and triplicate. File this paper, file that paper. Having reports, having tickets coming back two and three and four months later because you didn't put a comma in a period. We need to know the, there is a limit on stupidity. Now, what I like the most is when you would go to get report uh, signed off on, Sometimes you had to deal with somebody that, let's just say, never finished college, but all of a sudden they're English professors and they're going to tell you where the period and the comma should be and this is a run-on sentence. And they had a deep desire to be English teachers their whole lives. But they're frustrated in this role and guess what? They're going to take it out on you that day. Stop killing trees. Today, law enforcement shouldn't be having officers huddled up in some corner with a pen and a piece of paper. It takes too much time. We've got to have an efficient way of detailing things where it can be recognized through voice recognition and computers, and we can move on to the next event a lot faster. The lack of law enforcement moving in to a faster generation is a huge issue. And the reason that that is happening is because the command staff of most of all law enforcement agencies are not tech savvy. The tech savvy crew just graduated in the academy. They just learned how to wipe not too long ago. So we'll have to wait another 25 to 30 years to get them up to become leaders of the agency. But how important it is, is crucial. I remember many, many years ago, the city of Miami Police Department, which I did not work for, they had a system where the officers, I guess their penmanships were horrible, run-on sentences, periods weren't what they were supposed to be, commas were a thing of the past, who knows what it was. But their fearless leaders came up with some real tech-savvy stuff. You had a dollar number, call a phone, and you called in the report and it printed out. Problem is, the system wasn't that sophisticated, and uh, they had a lot of people have really bad accents. And so the voice recognition, which really wasn't up to par back then, Remember, they didn't have uh, 
Siri and Google and Alexa and all these gadgets that can hear you all day long speaking uh, as they do now. So back then, you uh, could say something like, uh, uh, this officer got out of his vehicle to assess the situation and all of a sudden the word assess has had a new meaning. So they had to scrap their program and back to the pencil and paper. So in today's society, let's stop killing trees and let's get with the more tech-savvy stuff that we can talk reports in computers and voice recognition and all this face recognition, all this baloney works a lot more uh, better than it did 20 years ago. <clears throat> and you can get that officer out there working a lot faster. And lastly, listen to your front line and get the hell out of the way. You know, one of the things that I enjoyed most in my career that I worked in a very difficult environment where most of everybody didn't want to be in. They didn't want to work there. They ran as soon as they could to get out of there. And that also was very true for the command staff. And I would always look at the command staff and for this uh, episode, we'll make the command staff anywhere from lieutenant and above. Uh, sergeant and corporal will make those, uh, you know, first-line supervisors and mid, mid-level. And uh, so from the management aspect all the way up, I would always look at them and say, Man, look at this goof. He never worked where I worked. Look at this one, another one, never been there. And I, I would tabulate it, and I could tell you from the palm of my hand, maybe one or two in an entire career, never, ever worked where I worked, but they were telling us what to do. Does it make any sense? So listening to the people on the front line that do it every day gives you a whole lot of valuable information on developing a policy and a procedure and a training regimen. Not listening to that subject matter expert that does it every day is a huge mistake that a lot of agencies make, creating the system even worse. The best thing to do is to abstract that knowledge. Now, a lot of times, the Superiors, the high-ranking members, want sergeants, mid-level, talk to your officers and see what they're doing, you know, get their feedback. Where the sergeant most likely will have a lot of feedback themselves because they kind of work out in the field to a certain extent and uh, they, they would know. But this is not... That type of conversation, it should come from the top. The top should get off their ass and get down to the trench so they can find out exactly what policy and procedure and training is needed. It's so important. Now, I don't know about your agency, but the agency that I came from, when you wrote a policy, it was a monumental event it was an event that once it was written it would go into a draft it would disappear and maybe come back and emerge months later and when it left it might have been a page long it was an idea it was a thought but it came back to you now and it's like 15 pages long then it's going to go to headquarters and it's going to start developing a life of its own. Eventually, that policy will have to go downtown to where the lawyers are. It's a black hole. It's, it's many humans have never been down there. But when they get there, it's so cold, 
You don't know if that policy will ever come back. And what they're supposed to be doing over there, the legal review, is to make sure that that policy is not stepping on toes with any other policy. I really don't know how they do that. But I can tell you, sometimes what they're doing is justifying their salary. So the development of a policy has turned into it's easier to pass a bill in the Senate or in the Congress. That's how bad it's gotten in some agencies. Some agencies, are, it's the chief of police with their feet up on the desk saying, hey, I know what we're going to do. Get, get a pen, write this down. And that's the policy. But there should be much more involved. And you got to get your partners involved your training, your front line, your mid-supervisors, and your high command all need to come in. And then you do your legal review, and that becomes a policy. The system is its worst enemy. You know, when I first started, let's say a person that had a specialty, they might have done a lot of work in that realm that they were in because they were subject matter experts. Once they left, the agencies felt overwhelmed over that subject matter individual leaving that they were replaced by one, two, three, four, five people to do the job of what that one person did maybe for 40 years. And that, my friends, is how the system starts to drown. You often hear no one is so valuable that the operation should stop, which is true. But there are people that are very valuable for the operation to continue. What's up next? Well, episode 246, April 20, April, listen to me, August 22nd, we'll have Private facial recognition. Private facial recognition. This is where private companies are doing the bidding of being evil spies for the United States government. And we'll look at that part of our Buccaneers series. Let's take a quick look at our lineup that we've got coming up. There is one aspect of the lineup that I will not mention the title because I want Kilo Sierra to kind of surprise us with what we're going to be talking about that day. But uh, August uh, 22nd, private facial recognition. August 25th, the woke CIA. They were so woke, they forgot to wake up for Afghanistan. August 29th, the power of faith. Very important. We're going to start wheeling those out at least once a month. The powerful Word of God. Uh, September 1st, the scheduled emergency. Okay? Part of the Buccaneers series. The scheduled emergency. September 5th, we're going to have funding. Who's cooking the books? Very important. Part of the Buccaneers series as we talk about defunding police and cooking of books. The Wise Guy series uh, will be also in September with two episodes. Anello Milagro of the Lucchese crime family, part of that episode continues with the Lucchese crime family and the power in Corona, Queens. Uh, Anello Milagro would, would rule uh, part of a boss panel in in future uh, decades, but uh, shown by the real wise guys how to do the business of gambling, he would become very powerful in the Lucchese crime family. Uh, the concrete business, uh, the Lucchese crime family was very big into construction and they controlled the concrete business. We'll look at that. And uh, September 15, we're going to look at another expensive gun. We did Wilson Combat, but now we're going to do 
the Staccato 2011. So uh, this one's a little bit more pricier, but boy, you get your money's worth. Uh, September 19th. Now these change; these dates might change a little bit. Uh, we're going to have Kilo Sierra on, and he's going to take us down range on this new course. But um, I'm not going to announce it now. But I'm I'm glad it, it's it's a course that is built on self defense, reality of self defense. No paper target nonsense. You know, 15 yards away, look at me, boom, boom, boom. Paper never moved, never shot back at me. This is quick draw, fast and in a hurry to live the firefight. So we'll wait for Kilo Sierra and we'll make that announcement. And uh, September 22nd, the squad leader, how important that person is. September 26th, uh, critical issues in policing. And September 29th, uh, that, well, no, actually, we're going to leave that one off because that's my buffer. So forget September 29th for now. That's going to be my buffer uh, in case Kilo Sierra is not available for the 19th of September. So that's what we have in our lineup. We're going to close it out, my friends, with the word of the week. And we look at the uh, word of the week, Second Peter's verse, uh, chapter three, verse three and four, and it says, "Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming?'" Second Peter's chapter three, verse three and four. I'll continue to read verses about the last days because, my friends, the debacles that you're seeing each and every day in front of your very eyes is quite telling. It's time to look at a higher authority. As always, it is my honor and pleasure to be your host on Radio Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing continue to pray for your family, your community, the law enforcement agencies that serve you. And most importantly, because I got to go, remember to pray for the United States of America.